I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. My guest for this episode is Marty Boyer. Marty owns The Theater House in Covington, Kentucky, a thriving business serving individuals, companies, and school districts all across the United States with just about anything you need to put on a show. You need 55 tutus, 100 plastic swords, they've got them, 200 rubber chickens, cake makeup, fabric, fake teeth, an eye patch, and a pirate's hook. Chances are, if you need it to put on a show, the theater house has it. Now, normally you'd think, uh, we're interviewing a theater person, maybe it's an actor who transitioned into this business over time, but you'd be wrong. Marty is, above all, a technology specialist and a marketer. And the story of how a guy who's been the president of startups, the chief product officer at an ad agency, how he ended up owning and running this business is a story I'll let him tell. But the real story of this conversation is the way Marty thinks about work and his relationship to values in relation to how he works. I kind of unintentionally tricked Marty in that we were recording before he sat down I like to get a little room noise before the conversation starts. It helps us mix the uh, final episodes. And because he didn't know we were recording, he just started talking about his family and their values and how he makes decisions. He didn't think it was immediately relevant to the conversation about work, but it couldn't have been more relevant. I, um, After the fact, I asked and received Marty's permission to air the stuff that happened before he knew we were recording. It's not my goal to trick people. The result is that even before we started talking about Marty's business and the decisions that led up to him buying it, you get a real sense of who Marty is. To use his words, Marty is a high character person. He's a guy whose values permeate everything he does. So the decisions around work are a natural extension of those values. For Marty, the discussion of meaningful work is inextricable from the discussion of a meaningful or values-driven life. And because he's clear about that, and he makes decisions from a position of clarity, it's not a problem for him to take a left turn and say, buy a business that sells theater supplies, because he knows who he is and why he's doing it. Marty and I sat down on a Monday afternoon at Pachinko Bar in Covington, Kentucky. Marty and his wife, Shannon, worked at Pachinko during college, and he's at home there. So uh, not only is he likely to pour his own drink, um, but when somebody walks in during the interview, as did happen outside of business hours, Marty immediately jumps to ensure that person is politely, but clearly informed that they're not open yet. Pachinko is a space you immediately fit in, no matter who you are. Tom Fessler has owned Pachinko for 25 years, and it's every bit an expression of who he is. It's welcoming, it's eclectic, it's funny, everything that's great about the neighborhood bar with no pretense or artifice. So let's get into my conversation with Marty. We actually started talking with Marty giving some background on Pachinko and why he appreciates what Tom has created so much, jumping right into the discussion of people Marty knows whose work is a perfect reflection of who they are. Here it is, Marty Boyer on The Distiller. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, it was started 25 years ago. Um, I think that I've met half the people in Northern Kentucky either in here by mistake, I would say, I think the Yelp classifies it as a dive bar, but I would call it oh, like isn't a dive more, a, more of a permission bar. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's like a permission to be yourself. Uh-huh. And the Tom is probably, in terms of like search for meaningful work, yeah. Tom's one of the few people that I would say, if you, if you met him, he's going to be 65 this year. Okay. And you're like, what's that guy do? He owns a bar. 
and then you come in here and you're like yeah of course i, I he totally does. get it uh -huh. right and so he's really like i'm he's one of the people that I'm, I'm truly envious of because i think this is like a reflection of him yeah and i think there are very i like i know four people off the top of my head who that that i would bestow that comment to mm. it's tom my wife um vance van drake who's a patent attorney uh -huh. like and um who, there's one other person I've met in my life who who fits the bill. I can't remember who it is. It fits the, like say more about that. Fits the bill in terms of like the the work that they do is like the perfect reflection of who they are. Absolutely. Right. And I think that if you met Tom outside of here and you're like, oh yeah, like him, and then you you come in here and you like know him a little bit, you're like, I totally get it. Yeah. Like I totally get it. And you know I would say the same thing applies to my wife. Is like she's got a small PR company, and you. Um, you know, she's, we have like 10 people there. We have Airbnb upstairs, entrepreneurial, um, smart, does great work, affable, sociable, all that kind of great stuff. And then you, like, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get it as part of the conversation. Like, you meet me, and it's like, what's this guy do? <laughs> like, and you're like, what Come the? Again? How's that work? And yeah. It doesn't make sense, but I think the part that makes perfect sense is like the things that interest me about what I do. Yeah. Make per it's marketing technology. Yeah, right? when you when you described to me, and we'll, we will talk about this, but when you first described to me the opportunity of the theater house and sort of how you were making that decision, you have a you have a really unique, pragmatic way that you go about making decisions. And once you described it to me, it made perfect sense. Yes, it was like the perfect cross-section of all the things you know mm -hmm. how to do. This is a thing my skills will make successful. And um, so it makes sense for me, but... If somebody says, is this your life's work? Right. You don't know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I don't know if my life's work's done. I don't know if it started, but that's that's part of the process, right? Right. And that's what's cool about it. What? It's, I mean, we're starting off on the deep end here, which is great. Like, why is it that there's four people in your life that you just said, where you know that, like, the work that they do is the perfect representation of they are of who they are? Is mm -hmm. it... Is it because we have such a messed up mm -hmm. relationship with with work and, and how we think about it, with the economics of it and what we feel compelled to do? Is it because people don't <clears throat> set their sights higher to sort of like find something that is truly them because they don't feel like they can? Well, I think there's a disparity between the, the idea of like, you people believe that their work should reflect who they are mm -hmm. as opposed to the idea of like, I think, work should probably more importantly reflect your skill sets mm -hmm. and how you add value to that because it, it, you know everybody uses the word passion mm -hmm. and like i personally I, I dislike that a great deal because with passion i think if you tell me what you're willing to work hard at i'll tell you what you're passionate about mm -hmm. and i think more right. often than not when we use the term passion it, it's by people who have the freedom of that choice yeah it's not by people people with means and resources and all that stuff. People who are working really hard to make their ends meet don't get the liberty to say like, oh yeah, I'm passionate about what I do. Right. And it's like, so I think- No, it's a privileged position to be in. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I totally recognize that. I, there's, um, we have a blog on the website, uh, on the distillerpodcast.com that I've just started sort of activating and posting mm -hmm. some stuff on and the post that will go up next probably right after this episode airs is a post about why are Americans so obsessed with work 
Um, and it came from, there was a, a, a medium or a New York Times article or something like that. The, it was a clickbait article, but basically the headline of the article was, what's the one question that Americans always ask <clears throat> that like offends the rest of the world? That's a little strong, but basically it was the habit when you meet somebody in America, you say, what do you do? Because we define um, ourselves and we define I, how we think about other people so by I, what they do for a living. And the rest, a lot of the rest of the world doesn't do that. A lot of the rest of the world has a much more pragmatic view of saying, I do this thing, uh, it pays the bills, it's fine, it doesn't need to be who I am. When I leave it, that's who I am and that's... Yeah, and so I did a presentation about this at Griffin Fest last year, which mm -hmm. is out at NKU. And it was, um, it was it, the ideas around like two questions. So if you change the, the question of like, um, when we, what do we ask kids when they are growing up? What, what do you, you want to be? be yeah. Right? But if you change one word in that question to something way more meaningful, like who do you want to be? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's one word. Yeah. What, and so I believe I've defined that pretty clearly in my life. I actually have it written down. It's on our walls. Really? Like, yo, yeah. Like I, I brought it. I, I expect I'll, I'll yeah. We can share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Um, so the, and are you recording? I am. Oh, great. Yeah, awesome. we're going. I had no idea. That's great. Um, so on the, so, and the purpose of this, so that I can begin to hold my kids accountable. Mm -hmm. And when you, I think too often, let's say your kid comes in and they say, hey, dad, can we get this Xbox 360 or something? If you say I can't afford it, it's a really easy economic decision. What if you say, yeah, you can't have that because I don't value it. Then the kid's like, where are these values? Mm -hmm. So we actually do have those values. So for the family, it's um, Boyer. That's the family name. So we're a family of high character individuals. So we're going to practice the following at home. It's going to carry over in the world. So we're going to love and protect our family, God. And this means saying good night and I love you each night. Hmm. We're going to express gratitude to one another. We will say thank you. We're going to listen to each other. And when someone is talking, we're going to look at them and pay attention. We're going to be polite, blessing, and thanking people. We're going to give back to those who need in charity and action. We value the experience of life. Life isn't about stuff. It's about the memories we create. We will tell the truth, especially when it hurts. We value constant learning. We will be lifelong students of arts and science. We'll be financially responsible, save more money than we spend. We're going to take care of our body, watch what we eat and exercise regularly. And we're going to be accountable, accountable to the world for our actions and responsibilities. Wow. And when did you write that? Uh, probably about nine years ago. Okay. So how old were your, were your boys? So Sean would have been seven and Brady, he would have been four. What was the impetus at the time? Um, a friend of mine, Jason Bender and I, we were at uh, a Bengals game mm -hmm. and we were, we were talking about like, what do you, what are your family values? Kind of like, what do you want to teach your kids? And there's something that we're talking about the notion of careers and what it means and so forth. And I, I think, you know, as we, what do you want to impart with your kid mm -hmm. and when they grow up? And it, it came out to be um, that I want them to be high character individuals. And if they're high character individuals, that'll be a platform which they can go do whatever they want in life. And then I will have sufficiently done my job as a parent if they're high character individuals. And I think the, the greatest compliment I've received over time is when I've shared this and I, and I shared that at Griffin Fest. Um, Jordan Vogel, who uh, he was at Centrifuge and then went to the Cincinnati Chamber, came up to me afterwards and he said, 
hey, I just want you to know, like, that's exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. Right and on. I'm like, if, if I, and I would ask you too, if, if I read those values to you, would you say, yeah, that, that accurately describes you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. The, then I, then great, then my values kind of capture who I am. Doesn't mean I'm, it, every day I have to live them, but it's certainly one of the, it, it's very, very important. And then, you know, when, um, like, we've had a couple of haps with my kid, you know, mess haps and so mm-hmm. forth. It's like, hey, hey, buddy, like, here are the values. Like, right. you didn't do this. Like, this is why you're in trouble. It, it makes it really easy to point to. And um, the other, th- the last thing I would say about it is that when we were at, uh, at Bridge Worldwide, that mm-hmm. became possible, that I really do, I, I take to heart the words on the wall, the meaning of those words. And, and if they mean something to you, then you should be able to be accountable for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love the idea that those values are on the wall and I want nice. to do that for my kids. And we have some pictures around the, the family too that reflect those values so that they can see it, not only in words, but they can see what it means to, um, you know, be a good brother. Yeah. I, I remember one, one of the pics of the boys, uh, they were walking in a trail in Bowling Green or down in Mammoth Cave and, and Sean was a little bit older and he was holding Brady's hand, guiding him on a trail. And I was like, yeah, that's what that, that's mm-hmm. what that means mm-hmm. to take care of one another. Yeah. So being accountable for our brother. How often um, in daily life, how often do those come up? Um, I would say in terms of like accountability to one another, I wouldn't say a ton. I have really good kids, which yeah, is yeah. awesome. Yeah. They the, don't need to come up because you're not right. They, I mean, pointing to the wall all the time. That, that's yeah. exactly right. But I would say in, in terms of how we think about life and making decisions, mm-hmm. they come up more than once a week. Right on. Uh, when we Implicit we, though within your, your yeah. process, not necessarily explicit, like let's pull this off the wall and make make yeah. the decision according to this yeah you know i am sean went to the gym with me yesterday mm-hmm. it's like hey bud like what are you what are you doing today he's like ah, i'm just kind of jacking around it's like hey you're going to the gym with me let's go <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah enjoy it time to enjoy yourself that's interesting because it's like you know i think different people different families have different traditions and there's a lot of intentional parents who have different ways that they've tried to create something like that but the the trick is then to use it to not have it be something that you wrote down on a piece of paper 10 years ago and that lives in the bottom of a drawer, uh, but that's something that embodies who you are enough that you don't have to pull it off the wall, that you can say, remember who we are, this is who we are. I, I mean, I think that the, the ambiguity for a lot of families is simply around the idea of that if those values are wishy-washy, and again, you know, I, I'm not um, naive enough to think that we don't have like the privilege of choice. Mm. And because we have a lot of, of those choices of how we spend our time, our energy, money, whatever it might be, um, that we, you know, pointing this to um, these values makes it a lot easier to explain to kids like, oh, this is why we're doing it. Um, quite often, you know, the we we have a really modest home. It, it's a nice home. It's ours. It's it, we we're happy there, mm-hmm. and you know we've talked about buying a bigger home and, and this and that. And we're just like, no, it's life's not, not about stuff. Yeah. It's about our experience. Right and on. the more time that we have to take care of that, that means less time we get to go do other stuff that we want to do. And um, you know, especially as one sixteen, one thirteen, we're like, yeah, we're 
you boys are not going to be here soon. We want to do other stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's even more important now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, like I said, sure. we kind of jumped off the deep end, which is perfect because I think this provides the, the philosophical underpinning for the yeah. discussion specifically about work. And obviously for you, it's all, it's all wrapped up together. That's part of why uh, I was excited about having you on the show is because you're a guy for whom there's not a work conversation and a family conversation. It's all, what are my goals and where am I trying to get mm -hmm. to and how do all of these things enter into that? So take a, take a second quickly. Um, you mentioned Bridge Worldwide uh, became possible. It was an advertising agency that you and I both worked at yep. uh, a few years ago. Give a, a super brief sort of resume. Okay, and, sure. And, but then like, let's focus on what you're doing now and I want to talk a little bit about what that decision was and how you got to the surprising place that you are right now. Yeah, so I grew up in the Northern Kentucky area mm -hmm. until like 10. Um, then I moved to the East Coast, graduated high school a little bit early, um, a little too young to go to college. So I came back here to the area, went to school at NKU, um, had a business in college, had some success there. What uh, kind of a business? Uh, technical support. Okay. And after school, I did a little bit of travel. Um, over the world. So started off in Southeast Asia, ended up in India, doing some travel like that. Mm -hmm. um, when I got back... By, your, by yourself? Backpacking? Yes. Okay. Um, when I got back, I was like flabbergasted to, to be an American because you learn so much about what, what yeah. your values are as a, um, a country and what it means to be um, an American that I joined the Army. Hmm. Um, and then after the army, I, my uh, service, I flew the um, drones in the army mm -hmm. and I got out before 9-11. And uh, when I got out of the army, I joined a company named Atomic Dog Publishing. Uh, it was a startup web publisher that was probably a few years too early, but entrepreneurial attitude. And um, it's my first kind of real organizational job. Um, after that, I was there for about three years. I joined Bridge, in which I had a variety of roles there, so I was there for nine years. Uh, started off as email marketing specialist, and then as I grew through responsibilities and so forth, I um, ended as the chief product officer. Yep. Left there at the end of, uh, at the beginning of 2013. I started doing some consulting and started up a little um, gig with Hank McClendon, whom you know, mm -hmm. and then we had a client named Tom and She who came along, and it was an upstart company. It had been on Shark Tank. We were ex they were exploding. I joined the team. It's a restaurant that uh, specializes in uh, tomato soup and grilled cheese sandwiches. That's exactly right. Fairly exotic versions of them, but people all over the nation would have heard of these guys. Yeah. After being on Shark Tank, we we received like tons and tons of emails and franchisee requests from all over the world, and that was interesting for a lot of reasons. One, growing a company. For drinking from a fire hose is always good. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, for during that period, everything from, I managed some marketing stuff. I did a lot of, I'll say company things like how to create marketing programs for franchisees, hmm. um, the you know uh, POS systems, the credit card management, a lot of those types of systems. I, I, I had a lot of hand in a lot of those things. Um, they later joined Gold Star. Gold Star um, acquired them. Uh, year or so ago and then for people outside of Cincinnati yeah. Gold Stars uh, Cincinnati Chili is a thing if you've never had it you really should Google Cincinnati Chili um, it's a particular it's a thing particular to this region and Gold Star is one of the two largest chains along with Skyline 
So mm. Cincinnati kids know Gold Star, but people outside of the region may not know that franchise at all. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for clarifying the the chili thing. I, I wouldn't have because I'm not particularly a fan <laughs> of the of uh, Cincinnati chili as a whole. It uh, doesn't reflect Gold Star or Skyline. Just don't enjoy it's chili. A, it's a particular taste. Yes. Um, so after uh, my Senate possible, then uh, Tom and she, I, I was with a, a software startup called Fizzy, and we're, we're trying to help people connect through activity. And that's something I'm, I'm deeply passionate about, connecting people um, through activity and getting out and exercise and movement. I run a, a bike ride here in Covington called Love the Cub. Mm-hmm. There's a poster right over here. Um, I love getting people together for the purpose of getting out and getting active in a social way that's not um, where you don't have lungs and you don't have a lot of um, obstacles or mm-hmm. hurdles to getting active. And we, so we do rides around Covington and so forth. So I, I, Fizzy was a great source of passion for me. And as we, you know, we started looking around at this and we're like, we have a great technology. And it, it was, was moder- moderately received okay. Um, Fizzy, P-H-Y-S-I. Yep. That's right. Okay. And it, I mean, great idea. I, you know, execution could have been debated um, over time, but we, we had enough success, but not enough really to mm-hmm. sustain both our interest and our activity for ongoing basis. So as I was looking around um, about what's next, I got an email from a friend that said, accidental business opportunity. So let and, me, I'm going to stop you. Yeah. Because this is where the entire story sort of turns. So everything, you've gone over a number of things really fast, and the common thread in everything that you've mentioned up until this point, including your first job before Mm -hmm. you went to college, is technology. Mm -hmm. That's right. It seems to me like, you know, anything to do with technology, that's your baby. You can figure that out. That could be marketing, it could be infrastructure and hardware, it could be startups, it could be using technology to further another business idea but it's all basically been around a technology uh, yeah. center up to that point. And, and I, I generally tell people a few different things about this. First is, when I was a kid, I was six when I got my first computer, mm-hmm. um, a Commodore VIC-20. So, I was, so I'm 43, so that was 1981. I started using computers when I was a kid. I mean, it is second nature, second nature yeah. gets. Yep. Um, so yes, everything that I do is powered by my by what technology is. I often say my unfair advantage in the world is threefold. One is technology. I, I just intuitively understand in a way that a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, two is marketing. Marketing became a second language for me when I was at, at Bridge. Mm-hmm. And the third part is really, I think it's systems and operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I apply that is I'm a really good innovator. I'm a lousy inventor. Um, so when most people think about innovation, and whether you're talking about Procter & Gamble or you're talking about whomever it might be, they think, uh, a lot of people think that innovation is about invention and innovation is about commercial diffusion. That means how many people get to touch it. So Uber was an incredible invention, but it was a lot better when it was innovative and billions of people got to use it. Yeah. And that's really the difference of when you see um, great technologies diffuse commercially across like society that is what is really powerful i'm i'm really adept at looking at the systems and saying oh this is how it assemble this type of solution to solve a problem that's something that um is really inherent just in my skill set okay and that's if you um i I think that gives me a number of advantages uh, to take on problems so to repeat back 
what you're saying, just to make sure that I understand you. You're saying you may not be the guy that invents the technology, the breakthrough technology, but you're the guy who can figure out how that technology can scale culturally to create more touch points to impact more people's lives. How it lives. solves a business problem. Right. Okay. Like, yeah, it is the the technology. I just intuitively understand the market. I understand how it how to um, tell people the story around it. Mm-hmm. And then the systems and the operational knowledge that I have around it is really about how do I apply that Yep. that technology or system to a business problem. So one day you're sitting there, you get an email and the subject line of the email is accidental business opportunity. So I have a friend named uh, Dave Heydrich who runs Zala Companies. He bought a building in Covington um, right underneath the Clayway Bailey Bridge, which may come back for another story in a, <laughs> a little bit. Yes, um, that's a good story. So David purchased this building and he walked in and he was like, oh my gosh, there's like, all these costumes, makeup, and wigs, and so forth. And he's like, these are pretty organized. I wonder what this is. And as it turns out, it's a really interesting business. It's, um, it's called the Theater House. And it's been around since 1955. And we are one of the largest suppliers to school systems of theater products. So wigs, makeup, fabric, um, lighting supplies, some sound stuff. Um, boas, feathers, anything that's really required to help make your production go, yeah. um, the theater house has done in the past. And so this business had went through the family on through three generations. And they, I, th- I think there were a combination of things that some hurdles they had. Well, some was like they lost interest. Mm-hmm. I think many businesses today, especially older businesses that have been around for a while, like and gone through generations, not only they lost interest, but they, they've been doing things that had led to their success for a long, long time. It's really hard for them to change that. It's hard to fire Uncle Chuck yeah. when, it's, when push comes to shove and you need to you know, slim your payroll. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you, you get locked into this uh, role. And they, so the business had gone down, the building came up for sale, David bought it, sent an email out to a group of us. I started looking through and I was like, oh my gosh, like what does this need? So they didn't even, I mean, this is interesting because I think I assumed and maybe people familiar with the story assumed that it changed hands as a business. It wasn't even sold as a business. It was sold as a building because the idea for the business had lost so much interest and luster that they just sold. So the, I mean the, um, yeah, the, they went bankrupt on the the note on the building. Okay, and right. I, I won't. The details of that are sure. not that important. But the, um, but yeah, he he picked it up as a building. Okay, because the IRS in Covington is going to be redeveloped, which is going to be uh, featured, you know, retail and riverfront property, right. and so it's an investment for him. He's like, wow, there's this business in here. I wonder which one of my my friends might be interested in this. <laughs> so he sends out an email and I look at it and I'm like, all right. I, and I, I had some rules before I even took this on. And my wife is gracious as she is. She's, we, we, you know, we came up to some basic rules that we're, if I'm gonna go, what's my next adventure gonna include? I, for me, I said, it has to be a direct one-to-one skill fit. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no stretches. I'm not going to stretch outside of my comfort zone. It's not that I won't do things that I don't like doing, but I want I like, I want it to be concrete enough that I can see like exactly how I add value to it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was and that's one. not for you, as I understand that. That's not because um, some people might say that because 
they would say, well, it's not just what I want to do. For you, that was a very pragmatic concern of, I want to maximize the opportunity for me to make this successful by making sure that what this needs to be successful is something that's squarely within my wheelhouse. That's right. So I think a lot of times, especially as you, once you get in the startup world, there are a number of things in the startup world that are really, really difficult. Um, you want to hit pause for a second? Can I help you? Uh, We're not open yet. Oh, Wait, no, we don't open till five. All right, thank you. I'm sorry about the door's locked. No worries, man. It's all good. That's life. Yeah. All right. So um, I think a lot of times in the startup world, you take on a lot of a variety of roles. And those roles, it's really good. I'm, you know, I have a lot of talents and I can do a lot of things really, really well. That said, sometimes because you may be leaving the mission or the idea or whatever it is, I think you may step into something that you are beyond your skill sets. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that. Yeah. Like, I, I, like I wanted a, you know, the, the round peg and the round, round hole on mm-hmm. this one. Um, I, that was crucially important to me. So I wanted it to have revenue to turn revenue fast mm-hmm. because the, I think turning revenue is a very, very difficult thing to do. Of all the things that I do well, an early stage sales startup is not something that I think I'm tremendously talented at doing. Uh, I think there are other people who are much better at that than I am. I'm the guy you call to get something done Mm -hmm. because I understand the systems, the people, the technology to get it done. I am not the guy that sells you that the solution at the beginning of a process. So I don't think that uh, that's a great role for me. And then uh, the, the last part was I wanted it to have a, a brand name and have some kind of momentum. And that was all when, and this hit all three things. So it had been a successful business for a very, very long time. And the, um, it had some unfair advantages. And though one was, it was in like tons and tons of purchasing departments of mm-hmm. school systems. It's really hard to call 8,000 schools and say, hey, would you like to buy some wigs or costumes? So we, I mean, it's, it's just a hard thing. You're for already any, there though. That's exactly right. Yeah. So the first day we, and let me, so I'll wrap up the email. So David sent this out. I evaluated the business and said, oh, this is something I can add value to. Um, it, need, it was a business that needed to be modernized. Hmm. So not only from the website, but from the operations, the technology stuff. You know, I would tell people, and I've shared that we got rid of 11 pallets of paper. Like, so, I mean, like, wrap your brain around, like, 16 tons of paper. And you're like, really? Like, 16 tons of paper. It's unbelievable. We we got rid of probably 20 dot matrix printers, a phone system from, like, 2001. I wish I had a picture, because I think the day that I stopped by to see you there, there was a pile in the center of one of the big office rooms. There was a pile of a rat's nest of Cat5 cable, and just every outdated electrical appliance that yeah. you had just gone through with wire cutters and snipped everything out and just thrown them. The, the, I love that. That was To me, that was like a, a vision into your approach for this thing was we're not going to sit around and make like every little tiny decision. We're going to wholesale, bring this place up to speed and, and no. get it kickstarted. And it seems so like that's what needed. Our, the first day I was in the building full time was November 17th, 2017. Our first day that we turned revenue was December 1st. Hmm. So we, um, December was a learning month. We, we made money and we um, very, in January, we were fortunate to 
um, 4X that, and we continued growing since there. And it, it's a lot of that is resting on the laurels of some of the previous relationships, but we reached out to them, we touched them, we said, hey, you know, we sent emails. You know, the, the, the blocking and tackling of, of business mm -hmm. is something you still have to do. Yeah. Um, we ship fast, we're very competitively priced, and we, um, we, we send emails and reminders and advertisements and all that kind of stuff to let people know we're around. And um, so we're able to really take this business from something that had been stagnant really only for six months, which was yeah. good. And then, um, you know, the first day we opened, the, I got a call. So I, I got all the old phone numbers back, which was really difficult. You had to go through this affidavit process and some other stuff. So we get them. I get a call from the Frisco ISD, Independent School District in um, Texas. And they're like, we just want to make sure you're open. <laughs> if you're open, we have like 70 schools that want to order from you. And I'm like, are we ever? <laughs> so, of course. And they're like, can you get this paperwork back to me by tomorrow? Of course I can. Sure yeah, I can. Yeah. And then um, you, know, you have to go through the vendor, call some of the vendors and you know, you do your mea culpa and say, hey, that was the old organization. We're a new organization. Um, I'm not legally responsible for that debt, but the only way I can make it up is if you sell it to me. Yeah. So that's a whole different conversation. So, the, I mean, we went through some challenges. It, it, was, it was hard and we, and we still have a lot to go, but through eight months to date, I'm really excited about what the fall looks like and nice. how we've done. And, you know, it, I think in terms of what I was open to is I did look at the old, the financials from the years past and it was a very, very good business for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And when you started evaluating why, you know, what happened, it, people, again, or, businesses are like relationships. If you ignore them long enough, they go away. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's exactly what happened. They didn't they didn't update the infrastructure from the website to the technology in there. And and your your assessment of what I did was like I just cut the cords. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. Um I didn't look at one piece of paper in those whatever eight tons of paper <laughs> or whatever it ended up being, sixteen tons of paper. Because it's like where, where do you start? Yeah. Where do you stop? It's like, and why would you anyway? Like, that's I, maybe the benefit of coming into something that needs such a clear wholesale change is you're not doing incremental steps up. You're doing right. everything old out, everything new in. And I've, you know, there there are a few things I wish I would have done a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, there's probably four, and I'm like, okay, I'll take that. I've <laughs> yeah. made more decisions correctly than incorrectly yeah, yeah and i'll take that any day of the week the thing that i loved the most about coming in there and i said this to you when i was standing in the space is you know you and i've known each other i guess coming on like 10 years we we've worked together in in very specific technology and marketing contexts and i walked into this big behemoth of a physical space with like thousand pound solid wood top work tables and shelves and and uh, drawer after drawer, container after container of stage makeup and tutus and plastic swords and guns. And, and uh, I was struck by this, you bought a big physical thing in the world, this technology guy who all of the things that you've done has been sort of in the virtual world. I loved that you bought a physical 
thing and that you were employing real people and that people could come in and knock on the door and it has a space in the neighborhood that it's in that is valuable to people and, and relationships and it's not a virtual thing yeah the, it's not a turnkey like e-commerce business that's drop shipping from china it's a physical presence in the world yeah you're shipping to frisco texas and and this but you're doing it through relationship i love all yeah of that. there's a lot so you know when you think about this business and how's it connect to me personally there are a few things that about this business that I am completely enamored by and driven by. Firstly, customer service is something I believe in. Mm. Um, the, you know, uh, growing up, you, who hasn't worked in a restaurant? And we're, you know, um, I love like great customer service mm -hmm. and making sure we pick up the phone, we return emails, we um, we do what we say we're going to do. It's it's really important to me. One of the things I like, you won't be surprised to know. I've written our values, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know I want to inform the customers like when when they're going to receive something, yeah. when we got it, all those details. That's really important to me. But I think you know that's those are th values. But if I let me, when I this was a crystallization of a moment. I was like, oh my god, this is, place is kind of special. Mm. A gentleman came in. Um, I'm not going to mention his name. He's a, a local drag queen, mm -hmm. and he came in and he shared his um, a little bit about a story. And he works at a at a very corporate job. And this is like in December before we really opened the retail store. He's like, "Yeah, I used to come in here all the time." And he's walking around, and I'm like, "Oh, is there anything I can help with?" Type thing, and like. I didn't know a, the tissue lame from the crepe back satin at that time. Um, <laughs> Obviously, now you do. I do. Um, so he's walking around, he's looking, and it, it was probably like five minutes or so, and he just turned around and he's like, I'm a queen. And when he said that, I saw this look on him, and it was like, it was like this is my safe place. Mm, wow. This is my safe place where I can be who I am. Yeah. And I was like, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Like, how awesome is that? And, uh, you know, I don't actually, that's why I love Pachinko, too. It's like people come into this bar and they're, they are who they are. And it gives you the permission to be who you are. And I think that's a great thing that we can do at Theater House, give people the permission to tell their story. Yeah. And, I mean, our mission is why the, you know, the show must go on. Mm -hmm. And when we said, when I chose that, it was very specific because that business has to go on because people need that forum to be themselves and if i can help do that and deliver that i'm all about that that sounds fun technology is the delivery device right no it's beautiful because it's um i'm sitting here you know the the show we talk about how you find meaningful work how you find meaning in the work that you do and on the one hand the story that you're telling is a really pragmatic story of i do what works i do what you know like uh the decisions that you made around whether or not to, to purchase the business were very um, pragmatic based in real world concerns decision. Is this something I can do or is this something I, I can't do? And there's a temptation maybe to see that as an unemotional um, set of decisions that doesn't have to do with finding meaningful work. It has to do with finding, you know, 
whatever the opposite of that would be workable work, yeah, like can, profitable work. Can I work. be successful at the task that I have to do every day? And that's and that's fine, and it's not untrue. But at the same time, as you talk about it, everything that you do is meaningful work because of what you bring to it. Because you are a person who is motivated by values, these pragmatic decisions don't stop being meaningful. They bring meaning to a place that it wouldn't have if you were mired in saying, well, I, in order to do meaningful work, I have to work for a nonprofit, or in order to do meaningful work, I have to be, I have to be you know, in a service industry or something like that. And I love this in the context of the overall context of the podcast, because what you are showing is a way that you have entered into something that somebody else, maybe it started as a very meaningful business, but part of the story that you're telling of the theater house is that it lost meaning over time because people lost the human connection and they stopped caring. And that simply uh, by continuing to care, you have brought something back. I, so the thing that, what I guess gets me excited about what you said, your description of that is that, again, I, I lean back towards the, the customer service hospitality side. Everybody who walks in that building is they are very, very good at the customer service and they don't have to try and I don't have to tell them. I don't have to, you know, we make sure that our packages get to our Dalton Street post office in Cincinnati every night. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to ask somebody if they'll drop them off. Mm -hmm. We do it because it's the right thing to do. And that buys an extra day. That means if somebody in Montana orders something on Tuesday afternoon, they probably get it on Thursday. Yeah. And that's a pretty great experience for them. And when I think about a business, I'm like, who, who else does that? Zappos, right? Mm -hmm. Zappos does it. And you can have a culture with like where people are awesome and they want to deliver amazing customer service. And if I can do that and I can help lead that charge, that's pretty cool for me. And you know, it's a hard thing to scale. Yeah. I mean, high touch customer service is going is a very hard thing to scale. And societally, we don't value it that much. So yeah. we think about like you know, bartenders, waitresses, and all that stuff. And we, what I'm using hospitality jobs as an example, but we, a lot of times we think, oh yeah, it's menial labor. I actually think that's gonna be a point of difference as we yeah. move forward. Like picking up the phone as fast as humanly possible, where it's like, great, hi, it's great to hear a theater house. Hey, Smarty, how can I help? Um, like that is going to be a differentiator that is going to last. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tom and I, before you, showed up we're just talking about amazon and customer service models and the neighborhood bar as the as the antidote to all of that and technology can take you to a certain point in terms of automating processes and creating efficiencies and making those efficiencies scalable across you know a, a large framework mm -hmm. but what they can't do is within those processes shortcut inefficiencies with a human decision pick up the phone and talk to a person. And you know, I bought, uh, I bought something off Etsy a couple of weeks ago and I'm used to buying things online and being able to track the package and I know when it's gonna come and even if it's gonna take a little longer than I wish, I know when it's gonna be there. And my experience on Etsy consistently has been with good sellers, something shows up one, two, three days earlier than I expected it to be. That's something you don't get from an automated process because somebody took, they didn't, you know, they didn't get it to the post office three days from now when they were legally required to by the terms and conditions yeah. on their Etsy page. They took it the same day. That it, makes a big difference. It does. So 
believe it or not, we still get faxed orders. We have, we have a fax machine, <laughs> which is which is funny to me. But um, as a tech dude, I'm like, what? I still get faxed orders. But school systems and, and you know businesses, yeah. a lot of companies still fax things. So I, I check the fax every morning, kind of walk in, kind of check it out. And when we get faxes, we make it a point to call them up, pick up the phone and say, hey, we got your, we got your fax. And I can't tell you how many times people are like, oh my God, like you called us. The, it's like, yeah, of course. I called a lady earlier today. She needed, um, she was in Vegas and she needed a, a tie-dyed fabric that we had and she wanted 20 yards. And in our account, it said we had 18 yards. So I was like, well, let me go, re, let me roll it out mm-hmm. just because you never know. And it turns out we had like 22 yards. Because, mm-hmm. And she's like, oh my God, you, you have it. And you call me back and I care. And, it's like, and you wouldn't I, have known that if you were trusting to the online inventory system and not actually looking at the product that's in stock. It's absolutely right. Now, we, we have a lot of work to do to improve things so everything's perfectly stocked and all that stuff. But we're about 98% right. And, and I'll take that for where we're at. And we're going to improve it over time. But yeah, like the surprise and delights to customers are really important to me. I've... I've bought customers bottles of booze, um, <laughs> food, uh, gift certificates to restaurants that are their favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody asked me the other day about a loyalty program. And I was like, I don't want to do a loyalty program. I, I want to thank people like I mean it. Nice. Um, that's important to me. Way more important to me, yeah. actually. Like I, How do you, you were talking about um, that you don't have to ride herd on the people who work for you to, to replicate the set of values that you have. How do you do that? How do you hire? Because I would imagine that's intentional for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How do you interview for people that are going to share those values? How do you instill those values? Um, and I, and, and I, there's a specific reason that I'm asking because I think, um, you know, I know that unemployment numbers are down and supposedly that means that the economy is flourishing. But then, mm-hmm. like, actually talk to people about the work that they're having to do and the places they're having to work. And again, Tom and I were talking about Amazon. There's an Amazon fulfillment center just south of here. Mm-hmm. And the stories about like, yeah, you could get an Amazon job, but it's going to crush you. And people are looking for places to work where they will be respected and where they can bring. Maybe it won't be that they're feeding the hungry. Maybe it won't be meaningful in the sense that they're actively changing the world. But I think a lot of people would love to work at a place like you are creating, where they can do a job, they can do it well, they can show personal initiative, they can be valued and respected while they do it, and they can create and find meaning in that by doing an important job well. I'm interested to know how you think about that from a hiring perspective. Well, first, I think you you hire the folks you know when you're starting something. Mm -hmm. You don't have enough time, and this is something I I learned a long time ago. When you're starting something from scratch, you don't have enough time to develop a common language Mm -hmm. with a stranger. Um, you don't bring in a known quantity yeah and I can't reiterate um, about the common language I'm going to take I'm going to sidebar this intentionally Mm -hmm. Um, if anybody's listening and they wanted the best training that I've ever done in my life it was the second city improv training we did at Bridge Worldwide nice Um, and what it did and you know it's about um, when you're doing the the second city training it's about yes and Mm -hmm. you're building something you're not tearing people down and the reason why I think it was the best training I've ever done is because it established a common language with a very large group of people. And when you're creating an organization, having that common language is just critically important. 
So the first, um, so my, my buddy Matt, who um, I've known for a long time, Matt, you, Matt and I met here at Pachinko, <laughs> um, when I used to work the door here and whatever, however long ago that was, um, we met here, we had a boat together, we're, we're good friends, we go to the lake. Um, he was looking to do something besides just bartend. And so he's like just incredible at the customer service. So I knew he was, and he runs kind of the warehouse side. Jordan is somebody that I met at uh, Tom and Chi. He was one of our trainers. Mm -hmm. So dedicated to hospitality, great dude. Like I knew he knew how to train people. And then Marcy, who is, um, I would describe as, hmm, she's described, I think, on somebody's Facebook page as a national treasure. Um, she uh, is a, was referred to me by a friend of mine and she, she was looking for something uh, for work in December. So she came in as we were, when we first bought the warehouse, we had to count and weigh everything in the warehouse. Hmm. We had to weigh feathers. I mean, otherwise you can't ship them. <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, it, it sounds really funny. It's like, I'm weigh, weighing feathers. How much they weigh? No, you really got to weigh feathers. And so we counted and weighed everything in there. So she came in, referred to a friend of mine who was doing some part-time work. And after like three weeks or so, Matt and I kind of looked at each other and we said, oh, yeah, we need, we need her as part of this. And, and she joined us. And, and like, so we're the core four um, at this point. We'll hire a couple people in the fall, um, somebody to help on the accounting side, somebody to um, help on the retail side. And then, you know, I, I use my kids as frequently as I can for free labor whenever I can. Oh, yeah. But uh, private school is expensive. So like that, it's okay. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I think you, uh, but to answer your question is like you, you know, how do you, uh, this is gonna be a no asshole place. Yeah. Like they'll go quick. Like, I, like thankfully I don't, I don't have a lot of the HR responsibilities of those larger companies. So to make sure I get it right early on, like we're gonna get any a-holes out of the door. Do you uh, feel, do you feel like there's a, um, cause you can still do that. I mean, you can, you know, any number of people have hired people sure. they knew or their friends and then treated them like crap anyway uh you know like how are you speaking to the people that are working for and with you right now mm -hmm. about their role and their place in the business in a way that actually helps them feel invested um yeah i, I want to answer that in two ways first thing is we do have job, job descriptions mm -hmm. like we we wrote those even for a small company i think that's really important um, the other thing is, like, I have a fundamental belief about coaching and guiding people, is that I think people are happier when they're, they achieve. People want to reach goals that may not be related to work. Mm -hmm. But if you help them achieve those goals, they're happier at work. Mm -hmm. So Marcy, one of the things that Marcy wanted to learn how to do, is she said it was really important for her to learn how to cook. So we hired a chef. I love it. So uh, we hired a chef. He came in. He taught her how to cook, how to do some meal planning, how to, um, you know, shop, and uh, how to season things. And so for to help her life. That's so great. Like, I'm just telling you, like, I believe that's more important than any, like, great, answer the phone faster or write, you know, like, that is so much more important than any kind of critical skill development I'm going to give her at work yeah. and the immediate term like she's going to grow more as a person and be 
more engaged at the job as a result. Like she's gonna, we're gonna grow our skills, but we're gonna do that as much together because it's a, we're not cogs in this machine at this point. We are, um, we're figuring out a lot of this business together. Mm -hmm. What's the business now? You know, you got into it, you had, you had some stuff on paper that you thought would be good. It would overlap with your skills. It sounds mm -hmm. like it has turned out that that has turned out to be accurate. Now, eight months in, what would you have done different? You mentioned a couple of yeah. things. Um, and what's it, what is surprising you about the business and what the business is doing for you personally at this point? Um, so surprising, it's as sufficient as it is already. Mm -hmm. um, that part is just incredibly surprising to me. Um, you know, there are a lot of startups to go through and me being way more familiar with the startup world in some ways than yeah. the, the theatrical supply company world, I evaluate it, compare it that way. Um, where we're at in our run rate is where many startups take years to get. Mm -hmm. And so I'm first uber thankful for that. Yeah. Um, so that's a, the first thing I would say like, wow, that's surprising. Um, the second thing I would say is that, you know, in terms of doing things differently, the accounting side, like systems, are complicated. I wish that I would have taken some um, more time on the inventory management and accounting systems. Um, I glued some things together, like, you know, we use QuickBooks, Shopify, some middleware, and some other stuff. Um, I wish I would have done a little bit more homework on that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you we were, when um, we started, we said, okay, we want to see what we have. Like, what, what is this business? And so the, the objective is, how fast can you turn it on and see what happens? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was 14 days. Like, and you're like, oh my gosh, like what, what's going on? 14 days. Um, From a we, completely shut down that's right. Dead business to actually making sales. We transitioned a 10,000 SKU website in 14 days. Wow. And we're taking money and shipping packages. <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're on the inventory management side. Um, there are a few things there I would have changed. And it, it, it's not really the inventory management. It's inventory management as it pertains to the cost accounting of our goods and services. That's a really complicated piece. I wish I would have sought some um, external support on. I, you know, if I would have listened, who knows? But um, did you have feedback telling you to do that that you ignored, or was it just that you didn't know that that was where you needed to invest yourself at the time? No, no. Um, what happened was that we chose some software, and I, and it just, uh, I want to explain this. Well, I got time, so yeah. Anyway, we're so, not in a hurry. All right. When we first started, we decided to use Zoho for our accounting and inventory side. Zoho is CRM accounting, inventory management, and so forth. So as I was saying, like our first month, we had to weigh everything and get all the weights input. So on December 1st, not everything on our website could be sold. Hmm. Uh, what happened was, so we integrated the, the software. So if we sold something on our website, let's say you bought a hat, the hat would then be, um, we would reduce our stock and then it would be updated in both Zoho and our inventory and it would be in, in on um, Shopify as well. Yeah. So that uh, in that scenario, everything works well and we can tie your purchase back to the transaction, 
to the product cost, to the shipping costs, and so forth. So that, that works really well. The Zoho doesn't have all the fields that we have in Shopify, namely our, um, our weights. Mm. So as we went in, we would go into an item and you know, we, would, we weighed, you know, let's say a thousand items a day. Mm-hmm. We go in, we'd update that. Zoho would say, oh, wait, wait, like, you're not the master of that. I control that inventory and it would zero out my inventory. So, and it just, at some point I had to turn that off. Yeah, yeah. And because it's like, okay, what problem am I gonna solve? Yeah. Am I gonna solve sales? Like, and you know, given a, a, a choice, I'm always gonna take like top line sales will fix a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And I've focused on top line sales. So at this point, we've, we've, we're going back and we're stitching together some of the, um, the backend operations are fine, but I think we had, we had to go back and glue some things together that I wish we could have like not had to go through, yeah. but it would have cost us a month of, um, of sales. And there's no, like, right. I, so there's no, yeah, you can't look back at that and say you, you made the wrong decision. You made I, the decision you needed to make and now you're dealing with it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, exactly. Every, you know, there's trade-offs, to everything. And it just happened to work that way. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the long-term vision for the business and your involvement with the business? Well, I think the, um, so the, I mentioned the guy who, uh, Dave, he's, uh, so he's still involved lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the guy who bought the original building. That, that's right. Okay. Um, the, uh, so my, my vision for the business is first, like, let's make it the best costume company in the world. I mean, I want it to be the first choice in online theater supply. That's it. Mm-hmm. And the if there are benefits that come from that, then we get the the privilege of having those benefits. I'll evaluate them at that time. But like, I want to worry about the process, not about the benefits mm-hmm. of it. Um, you know, if you build a great company, I think you get there are a lot of options and benefits that you get from it. Um, but I'm more worried about, hey, am I going to have everything for the what people want in the fall? Yeah. And do I have enough for their productions? What do you What do you mean that by that though? Because the way that you're describing that, it sounds to me like there's been a conversation internally about like, what does that mean to you? What are the benefits that you're choosing to ignore right now? So yeah, if you run a great company, and you have like, and you sell a company, or you um, have fantastic customer service, whatever that might be, and um, there are a lot of benefits you and options and choices you get to have okay. from that. Yep. Um, I look at those things clearly as benefits and I try not to worry about that as much as I try to worry about like focus on the process. Focus on the process of making a great company, yeah. a great culture and and being somewhere that people want to do business with and then if I if there are opportunities and choices I get to make on the long term as a result of that, that's cool. Like yeah. I'll evaluate that at that time. So what what you're saying, especially because you've come from startup world where everybody's looking for investor exit and everybody's looking for how do I build this thing and then turn it over and get rid of it. To be very clear, what I hear you saying is that's not why you did this. <clears throat> or at right. least it's not the way that you're approaching it now. You're approaching it now to run a great business as well as you can and and maximize every opportunity that you have there. You're not looking five years down the road looking at your watch and saying, if I hit this number, then I can cash out here. But yeah, and it's a different frame of mind. It's a significantly it, different frame of mind than a lot of people approach business opportunities these it, days. It, it is. Um, so, you know, I have a few long-term goals. So I'm gonna hike the AT before I'm 50, the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. That's really, really important to me. 
Um, outside of that, I want to retire fairly early. Mm-hmm. Um, enough, like I know what that is. Um, and when I say enough, it's like there's no crazy, ridiculous figure. There's like, I, I want to spend the last 20, 25 years of my life screwing off. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not, like, I, I want to have fun. Yeah. And, and, and I am having, and like, this is awesome. I'm having a great time what I'm doing right now. Yeah. But at the same time, I also realized that I don't want to delay gratification for the purpose of accumulating more for, for to what end. Yeah. I don't, like that's not that important to me. I care more, again, goes back to my values. I care more about it, you know, the experience of life than stuff. So um, there'll be a moment where I hit that and that's okay. And like, Part of what I love about you, what I've always loved about you is, you know, it seems like typically we have a couple of poles. One is the person who uh, is looking to cash out and, uh, well, not even that, is just looking to accumulate as much as they can, you know, too much is never enough. Um, generating wealth at all costs, taking and taking and taking and building and building. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the person who has rejected that mindset and somehow has said, none of that, none of that matters to me and I'm not even going to look at my bank account. I'm going I'm to follow the whims of my passion and I'm going to trust to the universe that it's going to be okay. Those are, those are yeah, right. You know, yeah. broad brush, yeah. like unfair characterizations. You you have this approach um, that is, uh, no, I want to have fun. I want to enjoy my life. I want to enjoy my wife. I want to enjoy my children. I know what it's going to take to do that. I'm doing that in an informed way. I'm going to work hard, but not so hard that it's going to cost me those relationships. I'm going to enjoy myself along the way. And then I'm going to do enough that I know when I can quit because I've worked hard and I've been smart about it. I'm not going to drive myself into the grave to do it right and I, I you know there are a couple things i would say to that is there are, there may be a time where this business grows to a place and if i'm successful enough where i'm no longer the right person to do it mm-hmm. and that's a cool that's a really good thing yeah um for a lot of reasons and i'm not afraid of that um i, I think that's an important thing to recognize is like yeah you don't you're not cut out to be everything to every business sure. through every stage yeah um and i might not be and, I, and that's like I'm not afraid of that. You know, I'm looking forward to the hard work of what we have to do to build a great company to to service our customers. And then, you know, the benefits that come from that and the choices that do that, it, that's that comes from there. You know, you get the opportunity to make those decisions after your, your success doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the last 25 years, I mean, it doesn't even matter how many years it is. It's about enjoying the time with my wife and kids. And um, I love working. I like working a lot. Um, I don't subscribe to the work-life balance because it's life. It's mm-hmm. not work-life. They're not. They're not opposed. It's just life. And um, yeah, like I, I think too often people do. Like, do I have to be poor? Do I have to have more than enough? And it's like, yeah, there's enough. That doesn't mean I don't want to do things really, really well. And I don't yeah. like. And I'm gonna like. Oh, I get to this place, and I'm like, I'm done. It means like, yeah, it's like you you work hard through the freedom of through your your choices you make and then you're like okay like i might value like hanging out in estonia for a month more than i do like <laughs> yeah like work in for a month and you know and we'll see how we blend it over time where did uh your values are obviously really clear it's the first thing that we talked about um where did those come from in you um let's see the 
so a lot of those, I would say, uh, you know, it's pretty close to my mom. The I have an older brother who passed. He was buried alive in a construction accident. Mm. I have a, a sister who has some substance issues, and she's in jail. Um, my my dad wasn't particularly a wonderful father. Um, wasn't a bad guy or anything like that. Just wasn't that loving. Um, and when I was really really young, I made a series of choices to say, I, "This is what I'm going to change about my life." And I think that I made those choices probably when I was. 14 to 17 and I was I knew then like what I'm what I was going to do different than hmm. uh, some other folks in my life and uh, I've stuck to them what at that age made you feel like you had that agency to do that a lot of people given those circumstances and at that age sort of feel blown by the winds yeah I don't and so we I moved a couple schools when I when I was in that age on the east coast so I graduated from Wild Lake High School in Maryland, um, and I lived in New Jersey for a little bit. And when we moved, it, you know, you're you're a kid; it's the the worst thing in the world. And I was like, no, like I'm not gonna do this. Like I'm not gonna do mm. this, with my kid. And like I knew I couldn't impact that decision, but I knew I'd have that in the in the future. And and I, I've done that. We've lived in the same house very very intentionally since the boys were born. Mm. And We've as much we've talked about moving, but then we think about how so, my wife Shannon she's moved a couple times too, and we we both were like nope we're not going to do it she for unintended consequences and you know our our home is a safe haven for our children and we want that to remain like it is and whatever memories they have of that is like going to be concrete because they've been there through the yeah. childhood so yeah those were like really really early decisions but the other thing I would tell you is that when I first traveled I was in Southeast Asia and I had a backpack that's all I had and like there there's a weird realization and you know I was reading Kerouac or I remember that and some Irvine Welsh novels and some other stuff along the way but I do remember a, a very clear moment it was when I didn't have a mailbox hmm. like I didn't have a place to get mail and you're like, when you think about that, your entire life, like, if I sent you a card, you have a place to get mail. Like, I don't have a place to get mail. Like, I don't have a home. I don't belong anywhere in the world. If I died right now, the only thing that's going to be, like, somebody's going to try to get a passport to my mom or something. And, um, yeah, the I think that I had a very early and real, as easy realization to say, yeah, if I'm, I can impact the change however I want to in my life. And, you know, I believe that you can do that. And I, for those that don't feel like they can impact change, it's like that could be the the worst, most crippling thing that I yeah. can imagine for someone. Do you feel um, do you feel like your boys are are picking up on that? Do you feel like the changes, you know, the decisions that you've made and what you're doing now? What do you see them picking up from it, and what do you see them sort of internalizing for whatever decisions they make? I think the and you know, kids are different when you have multiple kids are different for a variety of reasons. I think my boys are both pretty sheltered for the most part. Um, you know, I see little little things coming out here or there, but I think they've internalized what our values are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll say, oh, we can't do this or we can't do that because of this or that, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, and we, we have conversations about that, but I, 
it's too early to tell. I, I mean, the, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say like, w is there a particular value that I think that they'll embody more than not? I think both boys um, work hard very differently. Um, you know, my older one, Sean, he is in, he's incredibly kind and sweet with children. Hmm. And I, I, I saw him at the pool yesterday playing with these little kids and it was so, so amazingly like, tender and gentle and i was like oh man that's really sweet and he's a camp counselor so that's really cool my other guy brady he's like he's at covington latin a, you know fairly competitive academic environment and he's crushing it there and he sets his mind to do something and just crushes it and he works out the path to, to mm -hmm. go do that mm -hmm. and you know you i respect them and you know I'm envious of both of their skill sets and knowledge at this point, how to do both of those things um, and just respect the individual. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. It's like, and if they each go about their ways of accomplishing whatever they want in the world and they're high character individuals, mm -hmm. I don't care. Like, yeah. I'm okay with that. You've used that phrase a few times. I know it's meaningful to you, a high character individual. And honestly, I've told people, I'm not sure I've ever, I've ever told you this, but I've told multiple people that uh, if there, if I start a venture, um, it doesn't matter what it is. If I could name the people that are involved, you're at the top of the list. Huh. Thank you. Um, and I mean That's, that. I yeah. have a great deal of respect for the work that you've done. You are a high character individual, and that comes through in everything that you've said. And hearing you talk about this, I think is great because it challenges a lot of assumptions about what it means to do meaningful work and uh, that we can only do that if we're provided an opportunity by somebody or if we're, you know, uh, in a specific situation and the way that you're doing that through the theater house and, and frankly through the way that you're bringing yourself to everything you do um, is a high character approach and I appreciate you coming on and talking to, about it, to us about it. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity and I'd say, you know, I have a pretty unique life and I got a bunch of friends and family to experience that with. So it's really, I, I'm, I'm the lucky one. Thanks. Right on. Thanks, Marty. This episode of The Distiller was recorded live at Pachinko Bar, 424 West 6th Street, just off the Main Strasse in Covington, Kentucky. Pachinko is an eclectic, welcoming neighborhood bar with a great vibe. Their Facebook page calls it a fun, easy place to grab a drink. That's really it. They're not overthinking it. We want to thank Tom Fessler and the whole staff of Pachinko for having us in on a Monday afternoon. Check out our website at thedistillerpodcast.com for links to Pachinko's website and social media pages. And stop by there any day of the week. Tell Tom we said hi when you do. Thanks so much to Marty Boyer for joining us on this week's show. You can learn more about the Theater House at our website. We've got some pictures and links to the Theater House's website and social media pages as well. If you need anything for a production, no matter what size, or maybe your next uh, costume or Halloween party, the Theater House can hook you up. If you're in the Cincinnati or Northern Kentucky area, you can stop by and say hi to Marty and the crew. They're at 400 West 3rd Street in Covington, Kentucky. Or if you're not, you can see their entire inventory and order online for yourself, your business, or your school at thetheaterhouse.com. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson, with co-production and booking from Terry Heist. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan, and our videos are by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts. Please click the subscribe button wherever you listen to be notified when new episodes are released. And if you like what we're doing, 
spread the word. You can follow and share our posts on Facebook and Instagram, and we would love it if you would rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. Ratings and reviews, as we have said, are the most important thing in terms of getting The Distiller out to a wider audience. So thanks for that. Remember, you can listen and download every episode of The Distiller and find information including links, photos of the guests, and a map of all our show locations. And get in touch with us at thedistillerpodcast.com. You can also email us at mail at thedistillerpodcast.com. We would love to know who you think should be on the show to talk about their search for meaningful work or where you think we should record the show. So drop us a line, whether by email or on the website, Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We always love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.